Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Hey, good morning, good morning, good morning. It is Wednesday, the 25th of October, 2023. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Uh, Who is on your prayer list? Not just like randomly who or what is on your prayer list, but who is that person or that situation that is persistently on your prayer list? Maybe at the top of your prayer list, the, the one thing, the one name. Who or what has been on your prayer prayer list longer than anyone or anything else? Husband, wife, sister, brother, mother, father, friend, child, grandchild, prodigal, who? Who or what? Maybe it is a particular pain or suffering, a trauma, an injustice. What has been, what or who has been on your prayer list longer than anyone or anything else? My uh, my guess is, chances are, God just brought someone or something to mind because it is the one for whom, the thing about which you have been persistently knocking at the door. Jesus told a parable about persistence in prayer. It's recorded in Luke chapter 18. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up in praying. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared much what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with one plea, grant me justice against my adversary. So that was her one thing. That was the one thing that she persistently prayed every day, knocking on the door of the judge over and over and over again, grant me justice against my adversary. Jesus says for some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, well, even though I don't fear God and I don't care what people think, Because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. It's actually fear of of the widow, fear of the retribution of the widow that eventually, in Jesus' parable, made the judge relent. Jesus said, now listen to what the unjust judge has said. This unjust judge who, who doesn't fear God, who doesn't care what people think, even the unjust judge eventually gives in. Will not God, who is gracious and loving, concerned for your welfare and perfectly just, will will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones, those who cry out to him day and night? Will God keep putting them off? I tell you, Jesus says, he will see that they get justice. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith upon the earth? Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus is talking about persistence in prayer. This comes in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, which we have been working our way through. So your Growing Your Faith verse of the day is Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Jesus says, keep on asking, 
and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened unto you. Ask, seek, knock. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, does that mean that um, we get everything we ask for in prayer? Well, Jesus says that other places, that which you ask in my name, you know, the Father will give you. But the, the understanding there is that you are praying in accordance with God's will, that you are praying in submission um, to him, that you are praying in much the same way that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. God, if there be any other way, if there be any other way, take this cup from me. Not my will, but yours be done. So as we knock and seek and pray persistently for that one person, husband, wife, sister, brother, mother, father, friend, child, grandchild, neighbor, prodigal, or that one thing, that source of pain or suffering or trauma or injustice, that that one thing that we have on our prayer list and in our prayers every single day. We keep on asking, confident that in God's goodness, by his grace and in his perfect timing, we will receive what we ask for. We keep on seeking, trusting that not only will we find, but we will be found, that we keep on knocking and that the door will be opened to us. This is the promise of God today. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks, to them the door will be opened. So let us go before the Lord today, persistently, and yes, always in perfect submission to his goodness, his grace, and his will. Uh, We want to celebrate the release of two of the more than 220 hostages being held by Hamas in Gaza since October the 7th. We want to celebrate the release of two uh, women yesterday. One uh, 85-year-old woman who was kidnapped and has been held hostage um, by the terrorist organization since October the 7th. She gave testimony yesterday. Um, She talked about going through hell and then she also spoke well of her of her captors in terms of the treatment that she received while in the spider web-like tunnels under the city of Gaza. But maybe most remarkably was um, this act and this word when this masked Hamas gunman turns her over um, to the Red Cross. She shakes his hand and she speaks shalom. We're going to talk about not only that act, but what it means to speak shalom in the midst of the, the warring realities of our day. Our friend Daryl Crouch is going to join us next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Daryl Crouch is back from Everyone's Wilson. You can connect with him at everyoneswilson.org. Daryl also has a Substack at substack.com. You're going to want to check out. Daryl, good morning. Uh, good morning, Carmen. It's good to be with shalom. you. Shalom. Yeah, shalom. What shalom? Yeah. Shalom is this word. Uh, it's a Hebrew word, right? And uh, most of us don't aren't familiar with Hebrew, but... Um, 
it's the word for for peace. Uh, we we translate it peace. I, I think in the in the West, or particularly among American evangelicals, we often think of of peace maybe as as the absence of conflict. Uh, you know, we've got peace with our our spouse, or the things are peaceful in our home. Uh, there's no there's no conflict, and I think that's that's certainly true. And it's the absence of of conflict and division uh, for sure. Um, I think in the in the biblical context, though, it it really is a it, it speaks of a wholeness that comes um, from reconciliation with God. Mm-hmm. The Lord is peace. The Lord is our peace, um, and and that reconciliation with God uh, produces reconciliation with with others. And Paul spoke to this to the Ephesians and, and other places, and so. Um, it, it, but it really is this wholeness, as Jeremiah, you know, spoke to the to the exiles in Babylon, and they were in enemy, they were in enemy territory. He said, "Seek the seek the peace of your city, the the shalom, the wholeness of your city. The the, the pieces are are uh, like Humpty Dumpty. They're they're broken and on the ground, but uh, seek to 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 build the wholeness of the city so that." brokenness is not so pervasive and and that we we would know that that's our gospel influence that uh gives us the opportunity to speak peace uh to pursue peace um even with our enemy that before our enemy was our enemy our enemy was human and we share a common you know um uh, role or, or identity as image bearers of the most high god and so um certainly we we know that ultimately the enemy, Satan himself, seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Uh, he, he wants to divide us. And so those uh, acting as his agents, you know, are we would see as our enemies. And uh, we have some, we have responsibility to love our enemies, but also to, to respect the Lord and honor the Lord and respect our fellow image bearers and protect them. So there is a dynamic tension. There's no question about that. But it's really, uh, peace is really found um, in relationship with the Lord who is peace. And uh, from that, um, everything else flows. So in the last, you know, several weeks now, I've probably been in more frequent contact with Jewish people who I grew up with, um, who I have encountered along life's way, uh, who are friends now. Um, or even casual acquaintances. And this word, shalom, um, particularly uh, on their Sabbath, shalom Shabbat, um, or Shabbat shalom, um, has been an interesting greeting and one exchanged with increasing frequency. And and I have um, begun recognizing the places that shalom appears in where you know where I talk about peace or I experience the peace of Christ which passes all understanding or when I talk about the the peace that um, that we extend and experience through Jesus who who is the Prince of Peace I I will confess to you that when I have spoken the blessing from number six um, and I, I mean, this is one that rolls off my tongue, um, Daryl. Uh, you know, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you what? Give you shalom. Give you this 
perfect peace. And then when shalom is repeated in the Old Testament, where you where you see places like in Isaiah 26, where you know there's this shalom shalom, that mm-hmm. is perfect perfect peace. Mm-hmm. And that's what you are talking about when you when you are making reference to the righteousness with which we stand before God in Christ. That is perfect peace. That's not peace like the world understands it. You know, my my peace I give to you, Jesus says, not as the world gives, because the peace that Jesus gives is perfect peace. I don't know about you, but that sure would be nice. Some perfect peace. Yeah, it it would be, and and it would be, and and I think we won't know that on this side of of heaven in, in perfection. Uh, we we are perfectly secure and reconciled to God forever and uh, in Christ. Um, but uh, what's happening in our world and what we see from that lady uh, who's just remarkable mm-hmm. in her disposition toward her enemy and is um, is unique and and I think. Um, there is a there is a peace, much like the sunshine and the rain. The, the Lord provides um, can provide a level of peace, a, a maybe a, a signpost of peace uh, to the world who are who, who don't know Him. Um, almost a, a, a truce at sometimes in some places and spaces in our lives that that give us opportunity or become fertile soil for the gospel of peace to, um, you know, uh, permeate or, or enter uh, into our lives and us f- to receive Jesus as Lord and, and be, be reconciled to the Lord. So there's this, there's this general revelation, if you will, or natural law, and there's a lot of conversation around all that that's important. But, but that, that, for example, nations in this case uh, or local police departments provide peace and safety for their residents. And mm. and that's not perfect peace, but it provides space where perfect peace can emerge. And I think uh, we do care about our neighbors, um, that they live in peace at night when they go to bed at night, that there's, that they have the opportunity for the, we would say it's a temporal truce or a, a ceasefire uh, that, that they have opportunity to to live and to thrive and and to to know God and and um, be reconciled to Him through through His Son, um, and so I think as Christians in the public space, we're seeking both of those things. We 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 want to care for our neighbors well, um, and we care about how they live and exist in society. But ultimately, to your point, we are our, our ultimate goal. And aim is that they would know perfect peace, and which only comes through Christ. So good. The first person um, I think on record who was referred to as uh, a man of peace is Jacob in relationship to Esau. Yeah. Um, in Genesis twenty-five, and then you know this encouragement to continue to be people who sow peace. Um, I just there there are there are so many threads related to this that we could pull, but um, thank you for. Um, for having this conversation with us today. We're going to continue our conversation with our friend Daryl Crouch from Everyone's Wilson. Um, And I'm going to ask some hard questions that you all have been asking me. uh, And we're going to dig in. um, We're going to dig into this reality that there are these terrible stories in the Bible about war. Um, And the Old Testament is 
is marked by many, many um, wars experienced by people we first call the Hebrews and then we call the Israelites, the descendants of any of the sons of Jacob, plus anyone who converts to their faith in Yahweh, later the people we call the Jews, the people who live in the land of Judah. Um, So there's warfare over and over and over again in the Old Testament, and there remains to be warfare today, and we're going to talk... we're going to talk about that reality. So it's going to be a little bit of an Old Testament survey of the wars in which Israel found themselves um, as we seek to understand what's happening um, in the days in which we live. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do on the Faith Radio Network every day. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio Tons of free resources waiting for you to take advantage of and share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. Be sure to check us out on social media as well. Um, This is a community of believers, and we gather together here, and we all need prayer. And, well, we'd love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer. We pray for specific requests every single week when we gather on Tuesdays and Thursdays as a staff. So share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at MyFaithRadio.com and then be assured of our prayers for you in the spirit of Christ. Check it all out at MyFaithRadio.com. Continuing our conversation with our friend Daryl Crouch from Everyone's Wilson. Uh, Daryl, as we try to understand what's happening in the Middle East today, and as we try to understand in the context of the unfolding reality of history, that there are people who have been warring over a particular um, parcel of land. They've been warring over it for thousands of years. Mm. And as we, as we try to understand these people who, you know, today we call the Jews, um, some Jews now also people of Israel, but not everybody in Israel is a Jew. Um, We first called them Hebrews, then we called them Israelites, then we called them, and today we call them Jews. Can we just wander around a little bit in in the reality of warfare in the Bible and maybe how you are answering people's questions today in relationship to, you know, this versus that? Yeah, it's... um... I appreciate you, you know, throwing softballs this morning. That's really good, Carmen. Um, <laughs> good uh, morning, Daryl. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, but it is very complicated. Uh, I think I think that's one thing that we have to first acknowledge that this is um, that people and relationships um, are uh, we're very human and our we have feet of clay, and so I think to acknowledge that. I think the other piece, though, that gives me great encouragement is that God is sovereign and that he is moving uh, history in a particular direction, that what we read in the Old Testament, what we're even seeing here today are are not um, outside of outside of his redemptive work and, and restoring all that has been lost by sin and Satan and, and the fall. And so I think their history is moving toward. Uh, I, um, a, 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 a place where 
the Lord would be glorified and his people would be restored and reconciled to him forever. Um, and so I think that's important. I, I do think it's helpful to to frame some of what we read in the Old Testament and what we see the Jews experiencing today, but historically I think is 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 helpful for the short time we have today, is that you know the Lord um, set apart the Jews in order to deliver to us the Messiah. And so the, the reason that Israel is a special people is because of that, that he set them apart. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And through them, the seed uh, would come that would bless the nations and all the peoples, all the ethnic, ethnic groups of the world. And so Israel became the deliverer and would be the deliverer of, of the Redeemer, uh, Jesus himself. And so that's at least one major way reason that they have such a special place in our hearts and in the heart of God, more importantly. And, and so when we see, when we see violence or we, we see war in the old Testament, it was often to preserve this, um, th this uh, people who would deliver the Messiah. Um, I also think that uh, we can never minimize or, somehow marginalize somehow um uh, downplay the 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 impact that sin plays in the world sin mm. is terrible sin i mean i don't think we can when we see pictures I, i'm watching band of brothers again on netflix and last night's episode was where they discovered the concentration camps and to to see the um to to see the the weight of sin and brokenness in, and so there's, there's moments in history that we see that in profound ways and some pictures now from photography and film that we, we can see it. And it's, um, so we don't want to minimize sin. And, um, in the, in the, in the same breath, we don't want to minimize sin. We cannot then minimize the holiness of God or somehow tame the justice of God that he is committed to his glory and sin will be defeated and has been defeated and is is being defeated and um and so there is a there is a judge justice of god or a judgment of god that's very very real um but then i would say just in the same way very quickly that there is a mercy of god that mm. he desires all people to come to know christ and to be reconciled to him and so um there, there's there's this longing, much like he he has this heart for Nineveh that Jonah did not have. Jonah hated the Ninevites, didn't want to be a part of their of God showing mercy to them. And so I think when we see uh, a Jewish woman shake the hand of a Palestinian and say shalom, I think that's the heart of God. And I think uh, we can we can affirm that heart and uh, pray for the the peace of 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 Israel but pray for the peace of even our enemy that the redeeming work of Christ would be made known and they would be reconciled to him and so um it's a very complicated soup pot i think of a lot of different things but um sin is terrible and uh, the defeat of sin will be violent um in um you know in the in, in the course of history as we seek to um uh, make the gospel known, and um, it's complicated, but uh, it's not um, out of God's control. It's not um, a runaway train in any kind of sense. 
I'm going to take a moment just to speak a little shalom um, over us this morning using a number of verses from the New Testament. So if you're listening right now, I just want you to receive this as, um, as what it is, receive it for what it is, and that is the very Word of God. Jesus says, your faith has healed you. Go in shalom. While you were saying these things, Jesus himself stood in their midst and said to them, Shalom to you. Peace be with you. And Luke chapter 2, glory to the God in the highest and on earth, shalom among men. Grace and shalom be with you. The opening of most of the letters of the New Testament. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 is love, joy, shalom, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Romans 5, having been justified by faith, we have shalom with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then those words of Jesus in John chapter 14, and I want you to consider what it means, what it means for Jesus to give you his peace. Jesus says, shalom I leave with you. My shalom I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus is um, our peace, and without him, there is no peace. So today, I want you to consider what it means to receive the very peace of Christ that passes all understanding, what it means to be a person um, to whom Jesus says, shalom, I leave with you. My shalom, my peace, I give to you. And what does it then mean to turn and speak that kind of peace, speak that kind of shalom over our enemies? I seek your shalom today. I hope you seek mine as well. We do um, acknowledge and recognize that we are uh, living in the midst of a world at war. Um, And so a couple of updates from the Middle East. We just learned yesterday um, that United States troops who are positioned in the Middle East, we have lots of bases across the Middle East, um, and they have been attacked 13 times just in the last week. Um, Some of those have been drone attacks. Some of them have been rocket attacks. This is according to Pentagon officials um, who released this information from the Department of Defense yesterday, Um, and they have confirmed that on Tuesday, United States troops in Iraq were attacked 10 times. Uh, in the window between October 17th and 24. Um, During that same time, U.S. troops based in Syria had been attacked three times. So um, we are in this, um, our men and women in uniform are in this, and they are, um, they they need prayers of peace today and protection. Saudi Arabia in what is, I would say, an extraordinarily uh, historic act. Saudi Arabia intercepted a cruise missile that was fired toward Israel last week by the Houthis in, um, in Yemen. So you'll remember that the Houthis are one of those Iran-backed um, groups that we talked about yesterday with Luke Moon. So um, the, the United States was already known to have shot down a number of missiles um, that— that were shot um, by Yemeni uh, terrorists toward toward Israel. But for the Saudis to do this, um, for the Saudis to take defensive action um, against uh, 
uh, an Iran-backed group, um, this is very significant. And so, um, it's, you know, it's when we when we say we're trying to avoid this turning into a wider conflict, and I told you yesterday it already is a wider conflict, th- this is what I mean when I say that. Um, it, this is not just uh, Israel on the ground um, against forces who are seeking to annihilate her, um, Hamas in Gaza, Hezbollah in Lebanon, and others um, roundabout in the in, in a very dangerous neighborhood. Um, but there are already others involved, and we are among them. And so let us be praying for peace, real peace in real time, recognizing the reality of the unfolding nature of human history, and that we have read uh, we have read all the way to the end of the book. So, um, in terms of the end of the book, I want to talk a little bit next about Zion. Are you singing in worship? We will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. He has done great things, we will say together. We will feast and weep no more. What is this Zion of which we speak? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. You hear the word Zion quite frequently. I mean, we, uh, the church where I worship, we concluded the service this past Sunday singing. We will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. He has done great things, we will say together. We will feast and weep no more. Where do we get those ideas? What, what is Zion? Where is Zion? When are we going to feast there in a time of no more tears? I mean, that sounds great, right? We will feast in the house of Zion. Um, You know, a a singing people with restored hearts, feasting together, saying together, he has done great things. These are images of worship. Um, These are also images where there is no more weeping, where every tear has been wiped from every eye. And if that sounds like Revelation 21, well, yes, but also um, Isaiah 25 to 27. Um, and so those are going to be the passages of Scripture I'm going to sort of set before you as a reading assignment in terms of what is it going to be like when we feast in a time of no more tears. Um, but Zion, let's talk about Zion and the reason that I bring this up is that there have been uh, lots of references to Zion and Zionism, um, Christian Zionism. Why are some Christians so focused on uh, Israel? Um, in what ways are they focused on Israel? To what end? And so I thought, all right, let's do a little survey of Zionism. And and at the base of Zionism, obviously, would be Zion. So um, in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 18, we see this reference to Zion. This is um, the prophet, you know, here I am and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. So here, Zion is referred to a mountain, but it is the place where Yahweh dwells, literally the place where God inhabits the earth. So again, in Psalm 74, verse 2, this note that Zion is the dwelling place of God among men. It is the dwelling place of the God of Israel. 
Psalm 74, 2, remember the nation you purchased long ago, the people of your inheritance whom you redeemed, Mount Zion, where you dwelt. The psalmist encouraging God to remember um, and not forget. In Isaiah chapter 24, verse 23, Zion is the place where God is king and acknowledged as such. The moon will be dismayed, the sun ashamed. For the Lord Almighty will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before his elders with great glory. Again, that's a vision of Zion restored as not only the dwelling place of God, but the place to which people will um, will come and bow down. In Psalm uh, 2, verse 6, uh, Zion is the place where God has literally installed his king. It says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain, thus saith the Lord. Uh, it is also the place where, you know, God is worshipped as king. So it's literally the seat of action of Yahweh throughout history. It is Jerusalem, and it is a mountain in Jerusalem. Zion is Jerusalem. Uh, Psalm 87, verses 2 and 3, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of the land. Glorious things are said of you. You are the city of God. So Zion is synonymous here with the city of God. It is the place that God loves, the place that God dwells. It is Jerusalem. The term Zion occurs 150 times uh, in the Bible. It is used to mean a fortification, the idea of being raised up um, like a monument. It's described both as the city of David and the city of God, the dwelling place of God, both a city and a mountain. And as we work our way through the Bible, the word Zion expands in its scope. It takes on a larger and larger um, meaning. So it goes from, you know, just a, uh, a reference to a specific geographical location to something broad and spiritual. Uh, and so if you want to find the first mention of Zion in the Bible, you would go to 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 7. David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. So Zion was originally an ancient Jebusite fortress in the city of Jerusalem. And then after David's conquest of the fortress, Jerusalem became the possession of Israel. That, that is what is being contested today. So the very first time the word Zion appears in Scripture, 2 Samuel 5, 7, is what is at issue today. David built a royal palace uh, on Mount Zion in the city of Zion in Jerusalem, and that became the seat of power of the kingdom of Israel. When Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem, um, Zion expanded to include not only the Temple Mount, what we would call the Temple Mount, but um, this whole temple area. And so when you hear references in, let's say, Jeremiah 31, verse 6, come, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God, um, it is the name of a city, it is also the name of the Temple Mount, and it is also the name of the mountain, Mount Zion. So it's used um, in in reference to the city of Jerusalem, but then it gets this expanded understanding. So not just Jerusalem, but all of Judah, 
the land of Judah becomes Zion. And then, fast forward, the land of Judah being the nation of Israel um, as a whole. So Zion is a mountain, it is a city, it is a land, it is a nation, it is a people. The word Zion is also used um, in, in a theological or a spiritual sense throughout the Old and the New Testament. So the people of God are referred to um, as the people of Zion. Um, in, in the New Testament, Zion refers to the kingdom of God. So there you get this transition from um, dirt, land, a geography uh, bound by you know, national borders to something completely unbound. And so in the New Testament, Zion refers um, not to a place, but to a kingdom, God's kingdom. So um, in Hebrews 12, 22, it says, uh, you know, we, we don't come to Mount Sinai, but to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. So you see the transition, right? You see the transition from um, Zion as a place in history, a physical location, to a kingdom um, known as the heavenly Jerusalem. Peter quotes Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen in First Peter two six, where he says, "See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and a precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in Him." will never be put to shame. Well, who is the hem? Well, the hem is Jesus. You see the complexity here, right? And you see how challenging it is to refer to Zion the way it is understood in the Old Testament, uh, a mountain, a city, a nation, and then um, what it means to talk about that from a Christian worldview. The Bible is clear that one day Zion is going to be the sole possession of the Lord Jesus Christ. Zion, the nation, the city, the people will be restored. Um, Isaiah 52, 1, awake, awake, clothe yourself with strength, O Zion. Clothe yourself in in beautiful garments. O Jerusalem, my holy city, for the uncircumcised and the unclean will no longer come into you. That is a vision of the heavenly Jerusalem. That is the Revelation 21, new heaven and new earth, Jerusalem. Um, Isaiah 60, the children of your oppressors will come bowing before you. All who despise you will bow down at your feet and will call you the city of God, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. These Old Testament prophecies ring loudly um, in, in the ears of the people of faith in this part of, world, of the world today. So um, what then is Zionism? Um, and specifically, what is Christian Zionism? We'll talk about that next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge, host of Mornings with Carmen. Time together as people of faith is so important, and together we can make a positive impact. So Faith Radio is ready to hit the road. Would your community be a good fit for a Faith Radio live event full of encouragement and togetherness that we can spur each other on toward love and good deeds? Nominate your community for a live Faith Radio event at MyFaithRadio.com. And I hope to get to see you soon. (music) 
So my guess is that you have heard references, um, particularly in Christian broadcasting of one kind or another, to um, Zionist, to Christian Zionism. Surely you have heard references to um, the Jews as Zionists. And so what is that? What is Zionism? Well, Zionism, um, maybe at its inception, is, is like merely a political movement. Um this desire for the fulfillment of what the scriptures say um, about who will inherit this land. But today, um, it is, it's a full-blown ideology. Um, it's an international movement for the return of the Jewish people to Zion. If you're talking about Zionism, um, it is, I mean, it is an international movement. And there are lots of Christians participating in this international movement. Um, but Zionism is literally a, a an understanding that the Jews as the chosen people of God have been given a land by God, and they ought to possess it fully, all the way to the original biblical um, borders, as outlined by God in what we have as the Old Testament. And so the return of the Jews to Zion, the land of Israel— um, exercising the right to retain authority of government over all of that land um, promised to them in the Hebrew Scriptures. So the roots of Zionism lie in Genesis chapters 12 and 15, where God makes this covenant with Abraham, promising him that his descendants would inherit the land between Egypt and the Euphrates River. So when you hear references to from the river to the sea— and you hear references to that um, in terms of Hamas's mandate to annihilate the state of Israel. It's the same passages of Scripture. It's the same historical context, Genesis chapters 12 and 15, where God makes a covenant with a particular people. And when we talk about Abraham, then, of course, we have to talk about Isaac and we have to talk about Ishmael. And that's, that is how long, how far back you have to go to understand the conversation unfolding um, in the context of war in the Middle East today. So due to the fact that um, Zionism was begun um, as what some would regard as a politically motivated movement and others would regard as a, theolog- as a fulfillment of, of God's theological promise, um, there, there is. There are two lines of argument. There are those who argue that the Zionists are actually not; they're not people of religious conviction. Um, but that Zionism is really an outgrowth of the failure of the rest of the world to come to the aid of the Jews during World War II. And after World War II, because no nation would take them in, the world created for them their own nation, and it is also the land of their ancestry. So is it religious or is it not religious? Is it religious or is it um, conveniently political? That, that is really the, the knife's edge of the conversation today. 
Because you will hear secular media refer to all of this as beginning with the formation of the modern state of Israel. And if if that's as far back as you go, then yes, Zionism is a politically motivated movement resulting from the fact that no one wanted to take the Jews in after the Second World War. And so it became politically expedient to create for them a country. Well, what country should we give them? Well, how about we give them the country that God already gave them? Um, so if you, if you want to talk about Zionism, you're going to look back um, probably to like the 1890s in terms of the, the conversations regarding a restoration of Israel, a restoration of a place to which the Jews could go. It found fulfillment in 1948 when Israel was officially recognized as a state and granted sovereignty as a nation by the United Nations, which makes this whole thing um, where, you know, where the United Nations now only and always condemns Israel for everything. It's, it's curious to note, it was the United Nations that recognized and formed um, the modern state of Israel in 1948. So when you talk about Zionism and the ideology of Zionism, that that is where you are, uh, where you, to uh, the place to which you are looking. When you're talking about Christian Zionism, um, this is the Gentile support of Jewish Zionism, and it's based on the promise, um, the promises made to Israel found in the Bible. There, you would want to look at Jeremiah 32, Ezekiel 34. Christian Zionists are, for the most part, evangelical Christians who. Um, give support, sometimes very blind support, sometimes support that does not concern itself with the concerns of um, Christians in the region and certainly not concern for others in the region other than the Jews. So it is Christians who believe that the return of Jews to the promised land is the fulfillment of prophecy. Um, and you will hear this mostly from people who adopt a dispensational view um, of, of time and that the Jews must return in order for the end times to come. And then there is the, you know, come Lord Jesus part of this conversation. And why does the Lord tarry? So that more would be saved. And so you and I, for our part as Christians, we want, we want people to see Jesus. We want people to come to Jesus. Um, we want the people in the region um, who, are, who are not Christians. We want all of those people to come to Jesus. That is the heart's desire. All right, we have a um, we have an urgent prayer request um, that's come in from a sister in Christ, and so um, we want to um, be lifting her up, and um, we just want to be praying for one another and acknowledging that God is good. He sees it all. He cares about each and every one. So pray with me right now. Holy God, uh, Melissa's friend Tammy has a son named Kennedy. Kennedy was just in a major accident. He's got some serious in, in injuries and he's not breathing on his own. And so, Father, um, in, in the spirit of the question of, of the prophet in Ezekiel 37, can these dry bones live? Um, Father God, grant your grace. Send your ruhah, send the fresh wind of your spirit um, as the great physician intervene. Bring, bring healing, bring restoration, bring hope, bring comfort to his mother. Um, grant your grace, Father, in this and in, in all the things we bear up before you by prayers today in the name of Jesus. We come knocking at your door. 
We come asking, we come seeking, we come trusting. You are such a good and a great, gracious God. Father, we ask that you would hear our prayers right now, lifted up to you um, with Melissa on behalf of Tammy and her son, Kennedy. It is that personal. Father, you are the one who sees, you hear, you act. And so we would ask that by your grace, you would redeem. Hear our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. What a, um, what a joy to um, gather together with brothers and sisters in Christ and bear up one another in prayer together. Um, let, us, uh, let us continue the conversation in the next hour. Can these dry bones live? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.